Hey friends, it's Kelsey Kemp, here to inspire and guide you as you answer the call. Tune in each week to hear me illuminate the biblical truth of what a calling actually is and how to find yours so you could create a career worthy of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. You won't just be hearing from me though. Some of the most incredible and purposeful people I know will be joining me to tell you their story of how God called them into careers that honor who they were made to be. So their work is now creating generations of ripple effects for the glory of God. Y'all ready? Okay, let's go. Hello and welcome back. By the time you're listening to this, it is full on August, which means to me that people are squeezing in their last vacations for the summer. And true to that, Kirsten, my twin sister, my mom, and I will be in the desert in West Texas at this very moment that this is released, um, where there is zero cell signal, where there are mountains and desert and bears and who knows what, but also great fun. It's such a magical land that I would recommend anyone visit. We're going to be hiking, having fun, celebrating our mom's birthday. And speaking of my twin sister, Kirsten, that's who I have on the podcast today. I interviewed her. She has such an incredible story of how her dream career was her idol, as I'm sure many of us could relate to at some point. So it was an idol for sure, but God was gracious to remove it as an idol and then bring it back in a new form as a calling to be done for his glory and his service. And another thing we talk about is how trying to find your calling without truly having a relationship with God is like looking through a little potato chip. (laughs) This is an experience I had as well as Kirsten and pretty much anyone I talk to. It seems like we get little glimmers or glimpses of what we think our calling is, but it doesn't come into full focus until our hearts are committed to God, the one who calls us into these things. And whenever we're ready to hear God and do what he says for his glory, not for our own or our own self-righteousness, self-esteem and all of that, that is whenever things truly start coming into focus. And that's whenever we start to understand what our true calling is. And Of course, I do not want to add to the vague, like, just dedicate your heart to Jesus, like, love Jesus, and like, all is well. I don't want to add to those vague emotional statements. So Kirsten and I go in depth about the practical steps you could take to deepen your relationship with Christ and come into a saving relationship with Him, and not just be a believer, but a disciple, or I don't know why I keep on saying disciple, or I say that in the episode too, but become a disciple and a follower of the way, the truth, and the life. And so I know that those specifics will be encouraging and helpful, and I look forward to hearing what you think. You could always reach out to me at Kelsey underscore the called career on Instagram. I always look forward to connecting with you guys. And also, you could check out my twin sister if you're curious uh, what my identical twin looks like if you don't already know her. She's on Instagram at Twin Talks Ballet. Um, 
It's so funny. I don't know why I'm saying this right now, but we have this ongoing joke that she has so many more followers than me. I'm always like, promote your sister. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, just a funny tidbit. And you're going to hear a whole lot more of that as we, uh, I don't know, giggle together, talk for a while, and you're going to hear that our voices sound the exact same. So there's no guarantee that I'm even talking to a second person. It might just be me. You'll never know. But I'll just leave it up to you to listen to the rest of this episode. So adios. Enjoy. Well, hello. You would never guess who, well, you are going to guess because (laughs) podcast titles, but I have my very own clone here in our professional studio, aka closet, because that is how you know you're legit when starting a podcast. You go in the closet anyways, you have your friends and family come on, but y'all, my twin sister, Kirsten Kemp, has some solid things to say about her calling and how she came to understand it. And whoa, drama, even it being taken away for a while. It got snatched. It got snatched. Oh no. Okay. So before I get too ahead of myself, let me just first explain that uh, it's going to sound like it is only me talking. It is only Kelsey. Start the conspiracy theories now that this is really just Kelsey pretending to be two people. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, that, hmm, I, that might start a little, uh, I love a good conspiracy meow, theory. Meow, meow, meow. Just, that was me losing my train of thought. You know what? This, that's just an authentic experience, so that doesn't even need to get cut out. All right. Kirsten. Yes, hello. Yeah. Hello. 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 Um, tell me about your uh your origin your background a little bit about it where you came from i think you could tell that no i want you You to tell that story well it's gonna sound like i'm saying it anyway okay great go ahead so it all started in corpus christi texas in 1993 and then we're gonna just fast forward from there uh i had a pretty um nice christian upbringing and yeah. I was a nice little Christian gal. DM. I was nice Christian upbringing. I was a Girl Scout. I was involved in every little sport there was. And uh, yeah, I'm really grateful that our parents gave us so many opportunities to just go out there, try a bunch of things, and discover what landed with us. And at the age of about 10 years old, Ballet landed with me, even though we'd been doing it since we were six. I don't know why we stayed in it for four years, despite the fact that I personally did not enjoy myself in ballet class, but we kept going. I remember paying my mom $2 to stay home from ballet class one time (laughs) because she was trying to get me to go, and I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no, no. Um, But then she was like, of course, I pay for ballet classes, so you're going to go. And if you're not going to go, then you have to pay for it. And, of course, the ballet class was more than $2, but I still gave all my last pennies to not get over there. So, anyway, um, that was interesting. I um, just really <laughs> actually hated it. Yes. And uh, then I was obsessed with it. And uh, Yeah, no one could stop me. I think at the age of 10, I had a teacher I enjoyed a bit more. And then at about 12... I think just 
I, I don't qualify myself as a highly competitive person. I might have been more competitive back in the day as a child. And then as I got older, I just realized I don't want that kind of stress in my life. I want to I want to be more peaceful and love people a bit better. And so I don't see the need to be hyper competitive. But back in the day, I think I was a bit competitive. So when I um, saw that other girls uh, were quite ahead of me in the ballet department, I started trying harder. And when I tried harder, I realized I could do a lot more things. And when I could do a lot more things, I started enjoying myself. And then thus began my love for ballet. Um, Yes. Wow. Yeah. Can you? Help me keep on track, Kelsey. It's yeah, of course. Yeah, awesome, great. So next up, next. How up. did it develop? So okay, hate ballet. No, thank you. Yeah, no, to slash, why am I still doing this? Paying my mom two dollars to get out of classes, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. To oh, I like it. Okay, I'm a little competitive. Wait, but I actually like the art of ballet. Yes. To I'm hardcore obsessed. Let's fast forward. You have decided this is what I want my life to be about. I want to be a professional ballet dancer. When did that realization come to you? And where did that lead you throughout your teen years and young adult years? Uh, well, first, it was your idea. Okay. It always is, by the way. Yeah. Kristen, do you want to tell uh, the audience, which I'm sure is a roaring stance of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, definitely. Which it will be one day. So oh, I'm nervous. Not, not discounting myself. <laughs> but <laughs> will you uh, tell the audience what our little twin pattern of behavior is? Oh, it would be my pleasure, Kelsey. So for everyone listening, that is like the podcast quote of all time. Oh my gosh. Um, for so, everyone no, listening. No, stop. Just, okay, just say, I'm like slowly inserting a fork into my eyeball. Oh, sure. Please. Great. Yeah. Um, Kelsey tends to be a bit more of the visionary and the Kickstarter. So she will... Um, Pick something new and adventurous that seems appealing and like a good idea. And then she's like, okay, I'm going to do this. But it's not just I'm going to do this. It's usually, Kirsten, you should do this. And I'm like, "Um, no, I'm good. I think I'm doing really well over here in my corner of excellence and being in control of everything. So I'm just going to stay over here. And you're like, no, I've got this amazing new idea. We should totally go after it. Like in ballet, you said... Kirsten, if we like this and we want to dance all the time, the only thing we can do is really be a professional. So we should be a professional. <laughs> a pro- we are one person we are one. sharing a leotard. Oh, gosh. Four legs. So, yeah, Kelsey got me into the idea that, ironically, I now coach dancers out of, which is that if you love ballet, the only natural thing is to be a professional dancer. <laughs> well, that was my what 12 year old self being like Kirsten I have a plan Listen, just follow me which yeah. oh my gosh I sound like a cult leader which you, you know, could be if the Lord Jesus Christ did not save my soul then I probably would be you probably would be yes um so that's interesting just general pattern I yeah usually... oh but then I left oh, out wow. my part oh, hold on okay I made you sound more important you can't oh, have that you can't have that <laughs> no so the pattern is that Kelsey will start a little trend she eventually convinces me, despite my resistance, uh, to get on board and do this thing. But then Kelsey gets distracted and starts looking for the next idea. <laughs> Meanwhile, I sustain us in that original idea. And I will basically 
figure out how to become excellent in whatever we choose to do, and then I'll teach Kelsey how to do it. Yeah, basically. So we've kind of joked. We found this picture. Of, I'm going to have to post it on Instagram or something of me as little kids. I am flying off this diving board like elation all over my face like yes jumping into my future oh gosh lord help me and save me from ever posting jumping into the weekend like pictures oh no but i could use that but anyway so i'm jumping off this diving board and kirsten's behind me like "Eh." (laughs) i look hesitant hesitant but that's kind of a illustration of our pattern as twins like I'll mm-hmm. jump but then ultimately Kirsten jumps in afterwards and teaches me how to swim basically yeah because the deal is not necessarily that I'm afraid I actually enjoy trying new things I you know I'm all about the spice of life which is variety but the deal is like I want to make sure that I'm going to be able to do something well if I'm going to devote my energy to it. Um, not necessarily, th- that doesn't apply to recreational things. Like I, I enjoy having fun and mm-hmm. making fun of myself and things. Well, it's but more a big life decision. Yeah, but naturally I want to consider that um, that my energy is really going to go towards being excellent and yeah. not just doing something just to do it. So the core lesson here is I'm more motivated by vision casting, um, and planning and going after new things, especially things that I find meaningful. I'm always searching for something that I think is a meaningful use of my life. And I think it sounds like you are searching for things that are effective use of your life. You know, yeah. you're motivated by mastery. So anyway, I'm a bottom line kind of gal. <laughs> I'm a I, I will go to the future. I want to make sure I'm doing the thing and doing it well and not just thinking about the things and thinking about them well and in detail. <laughs> sure. Well, that's an interesting uh, background to how we balance each other out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I guess, is to illustrate the point that I came up with the idea and first announced to our parents, I am going to be a professional ballet dancer. And you were like, yeah, yeah, my name is too. now Svetlana. <laughs> Svetlana. Um, no. <laughs> uh, basically, I wanted it to be. Um, so I could be a Russian ballerina superstar. But, uh, and then you followed along and mm-hmm. also ended up desiring that to be your life's pursuit as well. So just to fast forward, Mm -hmm. how did that develop and where did ballet take you? So despite the fact that we had a lot of other disciplines, we were um, growing in as teenagers and we did lots of different extracurricular activities and such. Um, Ballet was always where I got really serious. Like I was referencing or as I was what you know what I'm trying to say (laughs) so anyway um eventually we moved away from home at 17 to attend Houston Ballet Academy 
And we trained during the summers at uh, different prestigious uh, ballet schools, which was such a blessing. I can't believe we got into some of those places like San Francisco Ballet, uh, Houston Ballet, American Ballet Theater. I went to a couple of other ones. But anyway, so I was at Houston Ballet Academy for two years, and that was the best of times and the worst of times. It was 17 through 19 years old for me through what would be most people's freshman year of college yeah you were still there yes um and training I, six days a week basically mm, all day hours long. a day yeah least. it it was man that would be another podcast episode <laughs> um probably on perseverance uh but anyway after that I decided to attend the University of Utah to go be a ballet major there I got a scholarship and I was also studying um business administration. And I enjoyed that so much. It was really where I got to learn uh, or cultivate a different um, part of myself, which is the more intellectual side of me. And yeah, that was so neat to also see how my faith grew there. Um, And after that, I finally, at the age of, what was I, 22, mm-hmm. became a professional ballet dancer yes. with Oklahoma City Ballet. And that was, after so long, finally my dream come true. Yeah, I remember when you called me and told me, uh, I just bawled mm-hmm. I, instantly. I was like, oh my gosh, it was like this explosion, basically, just of gratitude, disbelief that it was finally here, because that's what our singular vision was Mm -hmm. from a very young age, at least 12 years old, probably, that 10 years later, that would finally happen. Mm -hmm. And um, so you walked walked us through where ballet took you, Mm -hmm. but also what did that mean to you? And why were you so driven for that to be your career? Truly, I have felt so called to it from my teenage years. I I really felt like nothing else gave me that sense of purpose. And I I just have always felt that ballet is a framework for character development like no other, which is really fascinating because it's not only that you're pushing yourself physically, but the kind of mental What's the word? I'm kind of out of words. Resilience? Yeah, resilience. Uh, Resilience, uh, intellect. You have to be so focused and so mature from such a young age, and you have to be willing to put up with, you know, what feels sometimes like going to hell and back, just putting your body through so much torture sometimes. I mean, case in point, in your mind, you pushed through a knee injury literally for, I think, 10 years. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it wasn't bothering me for 10 years straight. But for instance, when I was at Houston Ballet, um, I my injury came back worse than it had ever been. And I had two tendons that were partially torn in the same knee and just a whole lot of things going on. And through that, I never stopped dancing. I never took a break because um, I also had a teacher who was... Uh, psychologically abusive and she was um she would publicly shame me anytime Mm -hmm. I would try to 
say, I can't do this anymore. I'm in too much pain. She wouldn't take me seriously. And as an impressionable teenager, um, that really turned me into a soulless robot where life to me became about no pain, no gain. Um, It's all about having grit and um, just being the toughest one in the room. Mm -hmm. And, um, but anyway, ballet, just given that I had been able to, by the grace of God, push so many through so many difficult circumstances to pursue this dream and nothing else key. This is a key phrase we'll come back to later. A <laughs> bookmark. Nothing else meant more to me than mm-hmm. ballet. And another big theme in my journey is that I was constantly making so much meaning out of every trial I was spared, you know, through every every mm-hmm. trial that God brought me through. Um, and I was always I think making up stories about what God's plan for my life was when I look back on it, because um, Mm. like I would make it through another um, bad time with my knee injury and think, oh, God brought me back for a reason. Yeah. For such a time as this. Oh, yeah. And then (laughs) every time I would make meaning out of it like that. And so I thought, (laughs) surely God has destined me to become a ballet dancer. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think that this is the key point that is so helpful to, I'm sure, everyone listening is you can want something so badly that it's easy to make up an entire theology Mm -hmm. around it that God also wants you to do that thing. Mm -hmm. And um, every prayer, uh, I know this, this is what I experienced and we've talked about it and related um, on this, that whenever you and I would go through injuries, our prayer life would just be God, like, well, for me, I'm sure it was similar for yeah. you and your knee. God, like, please save me from this combination or this dance being the one in which my foot breaks. Save yeah. me from this being the, um, the class in which my knee just dislocates again. Yeah, it was all about saving us from from uh, losing our dream. Yes. There was no surrender. And it was very interesting to be in college. And for all three years, it felt like that I was there because I graduated a year early. Um, when I was involved in a Christian ministry organization, um, I was constantly pursuing a state of surrender that I just really believed I hadn't reached yet in my faith. I thought if I just surrender to God more, then the miracles will come. Mm-hmm. Then I will have that sort of power in God that other people have. And you, I can, I hope that you can kind of pick up on the way I'm talking. And it's like, mm-hmm. it was all about surrendering so that God could give me more power and give me my dreams. That's not and surrender at all. Yeah. It's no <laughs> wonder that I just wasn't getting there despite how many prayers I prayed, like, God, help me surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I can't tell you how many times I said that, but it was just all for personal gain. And I, I now see that 
there was almost no way I could continue to pursue ballet with the relationship I had to ballet. Um, there was no way I could continue down that path and then also learn how to surrender to God mm, because yeah. of just the the mentality I had. There was no way. It was all about like God has predestined me to pursue this dream. And then when I when I just wanted to, I was also always like, I felt like I was trying to manipulate God. Oh, yeah. I was then thinking, okay, well, then maybe if I devote myself to God um, by promising that if he keeps me in ballet, then I will minister to people in ballet. Yeah. I kept telling people or telling myself <laughs> that I'm a light. Oh, yeah. I'm a light for Christ. And so then I would kind of like use that as leverage. Like, okay, God, I don't know of anyone else who's going to be a light in the darkness here in the ballet world. So clearly you've predestined me to be here. I am like the um, the single, uh, you know, light here. So yeah. you need to keep me going. You know, so this I was just so always making bets. Just making bets clearly point out so other people could extract the red flags here and reflect on their own situation as they're listening. One red flag <laughs> being bargaining with God mm -hmm. to keep you going in what you want. Um, also <laughs> negotiating with God that, <laughs> hey, you need to assign me to this calling. Yeah. And telling God how this uh, mission is should be playing out. Mm -hmm. And the whole point is that there is no calling without a caller who is the one who gives us purpose. In him we live and breathe and have our being. Um, it is not that God is <laughs> waiting around to be like, oh, Kirsten wants to be He's a not my butler. Yeah, I need to make her a ballerina. And so both of us had this massive confusion that since we want this so badly and can construct plenty of meaning and purpose, that there there's plenty of good to be done here. We should be assigned to the station in life. Um, that doesn't mean that's a calling from God or his will whatsoever. And yeah. the total lack of surrender as well is another red flag. So I really appreciate your mm -hmm. example in this and would love to continue to hear more. So what brought you from white knuckling this dream to actually letting it go or was it letting it go or was it just taken away no it, i let it go mm -hmm. um even though i i got to a point where to continue was not very appealing so after one season in a professional company half of which I was suffering through the one of the worst reoccurrences of this knee injury I had had. So only half of it, I was totally healthy. The other half, it, I was, I was uh, just making it work, but still dancing. So I only had one full season. And I had been in denial that the knee injury was really coming back. And I just thought, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to go away. It always has. It's okay. And I just need to make it through the rest of the season. So I did. But by the end of it, I had caused so much damage that when I finally got an MRI after our last performance, um, 
I realized that about 40% of one of my tendons was torn. Mm. And that was way more serious than I thought. So then I just re-diverted my energy to healing over the summer break. I thought, okay, it's all right. I I always make it work. I'm going I always, I always make, make it work. It work. <laughs> Such a psycho, man. Um but as the summer went on, it was one of the hardest periods of my life when I realized that the healing just wasn't happening mm-hmm. and I was actually getting worse. So I um came back into the start of the next season and only two weeks in of pretending that I could even straighten my knee like I must have been a pretty good fraud because they still casted me in Swan Lake first cast I was so honored and then so I thought I just have to push through this I just have to oh and I remember you telling me something along the lines of like God has made it apparent that I'm supposed to be in Swan Lake (laughs) yeah (laughs) oops Oh man! It's like, uh, and you know, a little G God cursed it. Unfortunately, <laughs> we had also had a lot of influence growing up. Of, I mean, we grew up in a pretty charismatic church, and it was common to hear people saying things like, "Well, God told me," and then X Y Z. They insert their own personal will. Right. Yeah, and so now we're we're very wary of those statements. Yeah, but anyway, so two weeks in, I broke, and I realized one morning I literally can't do this anymore. I can't live like this in this much physical pain. I walked into the studio. I told them I could not dance that day and I would not be back until I had some answers as to what's going on with me. A week and a half later, I got surgery and um, I ended up coming back uh, three months later after getting surgery exactly three months afterwards i was on stage which is stupid (laughs) stupid (laughs) yeah (laughs) but that's how desperate i was that is how desperate i was and um after having that last performance um which ended up being a gift and kind of an opportunity to receive the closure i didn't know i would desire so badly I went on Christmas break, went to another doctor's appointment, realized that my condition was worsening again. And so I faced a really tough decision, which at first I was entertaining the options like, okay, well, maybe I'll just, I can uh, suffer through it. Mm -hmm. That became apparent that wouldn't work. I could take off a short amount of time and get back for auditions. That became apparent that that wasn't realistic either because you have to be world class in order to uh, get another contract in ballet. Yeah, that wasn't going to work. Your life. Right. And there were some other options, but finally, after contemplation and fasting for the first time in my life, the last option became the only option, which was to stop and to completely take the pressure off and to not put a time limit on when I would need to be back, but just to let it go. And Mm. the way that happened is I finally became receptive to surrendering to God's will and to the mystery of what he could have next, because I surrendered to the fact that it would be his idea, not mine. Mm. And what happened is I fasted for most of a day and um, I didn't 
get an answer as to which option I should choose, but I felt that the next day I should just go to ballet class. And I, I had this feeling like my answer is going to be there. And when I was taking bar at the beginning of ballet class, um, the I, I was dancing and then suddenly this peace just descended on my whole body. And I remembered this crazy feeling like everything had been renewed in a weird way. And in my head, I just got this phrase and, and it was, Kirsten, to continue to say yes to this life is to say no to something much better. Mm. And then I was like, okay. And I had that peace that just surpassed all understanding. And I, mm. I danced the rest of the class with so much joy. And I walked up and I told um, the ballet mistress what decision I had made. And we cried together and she supported me. And I told my friends right then because they they saw me talking and crying and they're like, what happened? I told them I just decided to quit ballet. <laughs> <laughs> Nervous and they're like, sweat emoji. After they're like, of course you life. would do that. <laughs> you know, just make big, profound decisions like that. Um, and actually for three months, I had no idea what I was going to do. I had nothing. And actually what's interesting is since my faith had been entirely centered around God performing a miraculous healing according to my will. When or else I did it's not good. Yeah. When I didn't need that anymore, I didn't know who God was to me. I didn't know how to relate to him because all God was to me was the great physician. He was mm -hmm. my healer. Yeah. He was the one who made my dreams came come true and even the one in my head who gave me those dreams. That's why I could kind of bet against him because I'm like, God, you gave me this desire. You gave me this, right? Yeah. And so when I also felt like I had, I didn't have God, I didn't have ballet, I didn't have another career path, I almost lost my faith too, which I could not imagine because... I never thought I would get to that point, but I was listening to all of these sermons online and just seeking constant supernatural experiences of asking people to pray and prophesy over me that my healing would be complete or just seeking to know that God was there. But the problem was that I wasn't, I didn't know who God really was. And so then when my God that I'd previously been worshiping, who who is the one that all these preachers online told me is it, like it, it, Bill Johnson, quote, At a gospel Church. without signs, miracles, and wonders is no gospel at all. I have no room <laughs> or I don't make room for a theology in which people do not get healed. I remember yeah. loving that. Yeah. He and so that. many of the people in my church community at that time were super into Bethel teachings. I remember people walking up to me, this one girl, and she had been praying for me and she just walked up to me one Sunday and she said, God said, today is your day for healing. <laughs> sure. And um, needless to say, that wasn't true. And so first I thought something was wrong with me. Like 
I hadn't performed well enough in my faith. I didn't have enough faith. I just didn't say the right prayer, watch enough sermons. So I was seeking, seeking, seeking and not finding. And when I also found another corner of the internet, a podcast called The Liturgists, Mm. these people who were making a community and a home, a spiritual home, they call it, for people who feel spiritually homeless. And they're very cynical. I I felt understood by that online community. And so I started mm-hmm. to fall into that of questioning everything about the Bible, questioning everything about God, even Christian communities. I became a scoffer of evangelicals, that's, as they call them. It, it was just such, they stigmatized people who had a true, as we would define it in America, like a traditional sense of faith or who who trusted the bible with all their heart and so <laughs> god forbid you trust right, the bible <laughs> goodness gracious and so i became extremely bitter extremely mm-hmm. jaded yeah. and extremely cynical to where i could hardly sit in church because i would look around at you know around when my church had worship that kind of looked like we're in a nightclub you know one of those churches yeah. and people were like crying with their hands in the air and they're like jesus yes yeah. just call on the name of jesus and all your problems will go away and i would just be looking around like do you people even know what you believe like i was so hurt especially since i expected that god would reward me with a path for my great faith oh yeah for stopping ballet <laughs> so like my my concept of what it looked like to be a follower was not biblical whatsoever it was well was it was it just entirely centered around me i was not a follower i believed that jesus was real i did not know jesus and I was not a follower or a disciple of Jesus. I merely believed in him my whole life. There is a big difference. Yeah. It's almost like we believed Jesus was a power that we could tap into. Yeah. More so than he is the savior that I need yep. and therefore want to submit my life to mm-hmm. and be like him. Yeah. He's like a card we could pull. Yeah, we need it. So sad. So how did you come out of this time of intense doubt and the foundation of who you knew God to be and the foundation of your relationship with that image of God being pulled out from under you? How did that begin to rebuild? And how did your calling come out from that? So your true calling, I should say. Yeah, there are quite a few layers to this. I'll do my best to explain. So first, I'm just incredibly struck by how God provided supernaturally in that time. He gave me a a path and a career that I didn't ask for, and I didn't even know anything about. Mm. I knew nothing about it. I didn't choose it. It just fell into my lap. And so God was creating a life for me that I could actually take zero credit for. Which was such a faith builder. Yeah. When I realized that clearly my heart was so hardened that if I had anything to do with building this new path, I would have just created a whole new replacement for ballet. So 
I had been going to job interviews, searching, 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 doing my best, and nothing was working out. And I would like to believe I'm a pretty competent person. I'm educated, you know, all these things. It seemed like I was more than capable of doing these jobs I was interviewing for, but nothing was working out. Yeah. That was crazy. I mean, you were, yeah, you were interviewing for part-time clerical positions in which you would file things. Yeah. And you would have a great connection with the interviewer. Mm -hmm. You'd say it went so well. I got like almost, you were like right under summa cum laude in college yeah. and all of this. Which was 3.986 at my university, I'd <laughs> claim, like to point out. Claim to fame. Claim to fame. Uh, stupid. Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you were getting turned down. And our whole family, our parents and me, we were looking at this like, what the heck is going yeah. on? There must be some divine intervention like blocking this. Mm-hmm. So what came in in its place? So, um, I'm assuming you've told your story on the Uh, podcast? Not so much. Well, Kelsey found uh, career coaching as a new career opportunity for her. And she found a coaching program that she um, had decided to sign up for and invest in. Mm -hmm. And uh, she could invite one guest for free to the first conference weekend. And she invited me. But pompous little Kirsten was like, I might have a job by then and I just can't take Friday off. No, I'll let you know. <laughs> and, and I was like, bro, this is like for free. I'm pretty yeah. sure that this would really help you right. in your career direction. Right. And you're trying to figure things out. And it was and like was a like, $2,000 nope. value. Well, of course. It was that, that's like, what they say. $2,000 value. And Coaches. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so Kelsey found this. and. Long story short, I didn't get that job. And so I went to Dallas to this conference. And within the first day or two, I realized that I was really good at this. Oh, yeah. People thought that I was Kirsten's free guest and that she was the one that signed up for this program. And she was so naturally gifted. Yeah, because they had coaching. even the guests, everybody doing the coaching exercises. And so within the first couple of hours, I was coaching somebody. And I thought that was absolutely crazy. And I remember sitting in those seats at the first 10 minutes or so thinking, hey, if I'm going to be here for three days, I might as well pretend as if I'm really signed up. And uh, I'm grateful that God has kind of given me that heart and that mind <laughs> to yeah. just like really go for something if I'm going to do it, um, which I guess now is probably making sense why I contemplate next steps so much because <laughs> I take it seriously. Um, but anyway, so that became apparent by the end of the weekend that this was going to be my path. I was going to be a coach, whatever that meant. That I had no knowledge of the industry. I knew nothing. I didn't know what I was going to do. And it even took me probably nine months, eight, seven months, Mm -hmm. I don't know, to actually find my niche of like, who am I going to help with this method? So you just like dove right in first step. I mean, invested like all of the savings that you had into this coaching certification program and said, I'm staking a bet on this. I'm, I think that this is going to be my new career. Mm -hmm. And actually at the same time, this is, the point in my story where I was considering 
thoroughly considering quitting my corporate job, but I was I signed up for this coaching certification program thinking I'm also just trying this out. I'm giving it my best shot. I think that this is a career I would be interested in having longevity in. And we both came out of that weekend driving away on Sunday, called our parents. Kirsten was like, surprise, I think I'm going to be a coach. And I was like, surprise, I'm shortening my timeline dramatically. I'm quitting my job in the next three weeks and I'm doing this. God bless our parents. We stress them out so much. Yeah. So anyway, um, it's just absolutely crazy that God put this career path in my life and I was not able to prepare for it. It wasn't a highly calculated move. It just clicked and Mm -hmm. I figured out. I don't even like to take credit. I was going to say I figured out everything just as I went, but I, I want to say God showed me the way. And yeah. slowly with that, my mind became open to discovering more about God. Um, I knew I was going to move to Austin, and so I ended up doing that in a couple of months later. And I had been praying to God to help me find a community of Christians that were intellectual and could handle my questions because I had some really big, hard questions um, coming out of my cynical phase. And what I didn't know I would get is not people who were hyper-intellectual and gaining a lot of self-importance from that, but a community of people who work out their faith through studying the Word, through being sober-minded and seeking Jesus with all their heart and really following him, not just saying they believe in him. Mm. It's not a cultural thing. It's a life that this community chooses. And they really live that out. And they, so when I, when also God (laughs) threw this community in my life, That's another story. Um, Slowly, my faith began to rebuild. Um, Someone was studying the Bible with me, and slowly, God rebuilt my relationship with His Word. I began to slowly have my heart softened to actually see the Word as an authority in my life and to trust it. And that was a I mean, only when I could do that could I read the word and see Jesus and to actually compare my life to what I see in the Bible and see what it looks like to actually be a disciple. And I could honestly, for the first time, compare my life to what I saw in the Bible. And I saw that it didn't add up. Mm-hmm. Before, I felt in my heart that sinking feeling when I realized that I didn't see myself in the Bible. I didn't see how my life could fit into what it looked like to follow Jesus because it just didn't look the same. So I thought, okay, if I'm supposed to be saved, you know, I've said the sinner's prayer, um, then I'm a Christian, but. I guess it just means that 
we don't live the same way that the Bible shows us to live. Yeah. If, if I'm what it looks like to be a believer and I'm supposed to be what is qualified as a good Christian, you know, at least those were the kinds of pats on the back I've gotten my whole life. Like, oh, you're a good Christian girl, you know? And I thought, <laughs> okay, if I'm validated as being a decent Christian and my life looks nothing like the lives of the apostle, apostles, like absolutely nothing, then I guess it just means we don't take the Bible super literally anymore. So you can see how... <laughs> it must how, be the Bible that's right, out of touch, not exactly. me. <laughs> so that's the theme of my life. I was just thinking, well, I guess this is it. And then adjusting my relationship with God and the word according to my understanding, which is not how it should go. And so eventually, tying this back to ballet and my journey... I realized that when I had left ballet, well, I had already known this, of course, ballet was still in my heart. I felt like I wasn't done. And I kept telling people that. Like, they they would, my friends would be like, I don't know, trying to figure out what to say to me. And I'm like, reassuring them, saying, you know, I'm not done. I'm just, I'm just taking a break. It's still in my heart. So we'll see what happens. There's a reason ballet was still in my heart. But it, it became clear as time went on that it was in my heart not to serve me, but to go back and serve the ballet community, not making it about me at all or my personal desires. So what ended up taking shape is that even though I had no idea what I was doing and I was just kind of following Kelsey's ideas, I thought, well, if I'm a coach, I guess I'll be a career coach or whatever. That wasn't really working out. And actually, my very first client was a ballet dancer and it happened in a really crazy way. Like her mom found me and online and was like, hey, I would love for you to life coach my daughter. And I was like, I'm not a life coach. (laughs) But she became my first client. And then through God plopping her in my life, that was another um, confirmation. Another confirmation. Like God showed me, these are your people, Kirsten. You understand yeah. them. You know their needs. You know what scares them. You know their desires. You know how to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Serve them. Yeah. And so that's what I started to do. Mm-hmm. And then from there... I switched my niche to becoming a mindset and transition coach for ballet dancers to help them through the most difficult aspects of the career and then also help them transition into the life beyond. The life beyond. Yeah. (laughs) That sounded a little bit um, intergalactic. Right. It is intergalactic. (laughs) No, but after ballet, what happens? Because, you know, it's quite technically, it's a very short-lived career. It is, yeah. Um, So that's incredible. How, what wisdom and encouragement do you have for people that are also searching for their calling? Ah. To make sure that nothing gets in your way of pursuing Jesus first, Mm. seeking him and his kingdom first, and then as the Bible promises, all of these things will be added to you. All the other things will be added to your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. first the kingdom of Mm -hmm. God. Yes. So seek Jesus. Follow him. And truly, truly, if you are not 
willing to seek Jesus and to understand with all of your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your understanding, how he is so much better than anything this world can offer you. If he is not clearly more desirable to you than any other thing, then you need to seek that first. And Mm -hmm. then, only then, can you truly see that repenting of any sort of sin in your life before and committing to leaving that life behind Mm -hmm. you, then that is possible. It is possible to truly repent after your heart is softened by seeing Jesus and feeling his love Mm-hmm. And understanding why the disciples in the New Testament would drop everything to follow him. Only after you have an experiential knowledge of what that's like, can you then put the career second and then truly surrender mm-hmm. and realize that's a good thing. It is. That's such a, a beautiful thing. thing. And so my journey has been that I, I want to just communicate that I truly believe especially careers in the arts or, you know, many careers that a lot of people in the Christian faith might might wonder, like, how does that serve people? That seems kind of self-centered. Mm. I truly believe that the arts have a huge place in society. They are a ministry in a way, but it can very easily be skewed to um, serve our needs and to make our lives about us and our desires like it was for me. Um, So I don't believe that most careers are inherently bad at all, but you have to get to the place where God is first. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was impossible to make God first until I had space apart from my desperation to dance. And so God simply made space in my life for me to see him before I started to have a life built up for me again. Mm. God became everything. He showed me that he's at the center and he was so gracious with me because when I look back, man, it it just makes me so sad how hardened my heart was, how self-absorbed I was, how I was bending God into whoever I wanted him to be. And I mean, I even imagine anyone who annoys me like three or four times, it's it's not like they're dead to me, but I know myself. I'm a sinner. And I would probably change my relationship with that person if they disappointed me enough times. I can't imagine how many times I have disappointed God by turning my face away from him. And still he calls me back every time. Mm. He gives me an opportunity to seek him every time. He holds my hand. He humbles me but only to show me that he's trying to take care of me. He's trying to be my everything. And if only I would follow, then I could experience that grace and that life and that love that that we see in the Old Testament. But I needed to have a removal from that life and a complete separation in order for God to truly be at the center and for me to truly be able to surrender and repent and then to get baptized and come back as a new creation, completely willing to put my old life behind me. And I was only able to see that or to make that decision truthfully in my heart to leave the old life behind me when it was finally revealed to me what my old life was made of and what my old desires were made of. It was to serve me. And now that 
I, I find that so repulsive. I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. And so I'm so grateful that God um, led me away from ballet. I mean, it almost feels like so many times I've wanted to say he took it away. And sure, maybe you could put it that way, but I feel like he would never just take away just to take away. He was no. trying to show me that he has so much more and not so much for so much more for me. It wasn't so that he could um, bless me 10 times more with more no. status and earthly riches. And I don't know, maybe that will come. And I felt more like, I don't know, more confidence and dignity and a lot of different things. Um, more prosperity in a lot of senses with this new career, but that's not what this is about for me anymore. No. And there's so much freedom in that, that I don't have to be desperate to hold on to my career because I know that I can face my greatest fears of losing what felt like everything to me. It wasn't everything, but it felt like everything to me. I realized I lost all that and I got more. And I was still okay. And in fact, I was able to see the face of God more clear than I ever have in my life. So I feel like, I mean, not that I desire to go to that emotional place again. But if it were to happen, and I, I'm sure there are going to be times in my life where hard times come, I'm not as afraid of it anymore. And that's amazing. That is incredible. And this theme that I'm seeing through your story, mine, and so many others of those that people that I talk to is that whenever we are not truly following God, we don't truly understand his character. We don't truly accept his love. And we're not in an intimate relationship with Jesus who saves. Our what we come later to understand as our, our calling, it's like looking through a potato chip or like through this screen where you you have bits and pieces of it. Like you had ballet in one form where you were actually dancing and performing. I had um, the passion to be a career coach and help people find work that they actually enjoyed because that really bothered me that everyone I looked to just seemed to be hating their life and I just didn't like a future um, projected in front of me like that. Um, but whenever we truly seek first the kingdom of God, that verse that we referenced earlier is Matthew 6, 33, which of course, always look at the context surrounding that. Never just look at one verse. It's mm. always my advice. <laughs> um, but whenever we seek first the kingdom of God and we realize that our first and foremost calling, which is the only one that truly matters, honestly, um, is to follow Jesus. Yeah. And whenever that happens, the Lord reveals the rest of you the rest to you whenever you could be trusted with it honestly yeah. and so that's whenever um your calling was given to you yeah. of helping dancers now in this new way of mindset and transition coaching and that's whenever i realized that i didn't want to just be, help people enjoy their career and make more money and have all the health wealth and happiness they wanted apart from god i wanted to help people understand what a calling is which mm -hmm. is first to follow jesus and then to understand the unique calling um 
that is placed on their lives to yes. use their gifts and resources in a specific way for the kingdom. Yeah. Actually, and so- in both of us, if you can pick up on this, both of us we're not following a calling. We were following an idol. Oh, yes, yes. Ballet was so much more important to me than God. And because I did not know Jesus personally, even though I believed in him, I knew about him, I did the Christian-y things, he was not the ultimate Lord of my life. And so there was no way that he could be more important to me than ballet, even though you know, I would sit in sermons when I was little and hear like God needs to be first. And so I would just give lip service to that and be like, yeah, God is first in my life. But my <laughs> my actions were not showing that. And, it, there, and I want to make it clear that you can't be perfect enough or pure enough in your heart, in your own power to get rid of your idols and follow Jesus. It's not about perfection. It's about knowing Jesus yeah. and allowing him to enter your life and not just like praying him into your heart, but repenting, getting baptized, walking in your whole life, working out your sanctification, working out yes. your faith with fear and trembling, becoming a disciple, making more disciples. That's how it is. That is what it looks like to follow Jesus. But first you need to know Jesus and it's impossible to be perfect enough and to manipulate our mindset enough to put him first above our other things are idols um, if you don't know him. And so allow him to transform you yes. so that is possible. Don't I'm not trying to preach that you need to be good enough. That you need to fix yourself. Or more. be good enough at being a Christian or, in order to do that. There's that, no way. I'm no telling way. you to rearrange your steps to still get to the end goal of finding your calling, aka the thing that hopefully gives your life purpose and meaning that yeah. we're all searching for. We're not telling you to just trick the system in a new way. Follow yeah. Jesus first. And so the practical steps that we would recommend to do that, because we were just talking last night about um, how Kirsten and I have had a lifetime of answering, raising our hand to altar calls to say, yes, will you follow <laughs> Jesus? Will you accept him into your heart? Will you pray the sinner's prayer one more time? And we kept on doing that one emotional experience, one church service, one Christian conference after another, after another. And we knew that it was our, the, that Jesus was not really the king of our heart. No, we felt incomplete. And so um, this is something that Kirsten talked about, to, but to boil it down into directive, clear steps so that this is not just another emotional, put Jesus at the front of your life kind of conversation. Yeah, we're trying to make it real. Um, and this is something that Renee Walters, our best friend that was on the previous episode, talked about. First, I would recommend... Um, reading the gospels the four books the Matthew Mark Luke and John at least one of them what changed for me is whenever i quickly read i think in a day or two of uh, trying to get that overview that comprehensive view of the book of John and then i did that for the book of acts where you see the first the the formation of the church after Jesus's death and resurrection yeah. and that's whenever everything changed <laughs> like now we're in um, like we are after Christ's death and resurrection. Christ's, Christ's death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, not just Acts, but I would also recommend Romans and read those three books. See what you see or see what you, um, how about observe believers 
uh, the process that they experience whenever they are cut to the heart, as it says in Acts chapter 2. And they said, what can we do and repent and be baptized for their gift? for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Be honest with yourself about how your life and your heart compares to what you see. Really be honest with yourself whenever you're reading the New Testament and just the word in general. Don't fall into the lie that is sold in so many Christian churches that we're different now. You know, that was 2000 years ago. Life is different now. No, Culture might be different now, but to follow Jesus looks the same. We can't just keep making excuses for ourselves, fitting God into our life instead of fitting ourselves into God's kingdom. Mm. You know, like, I just think that we're deceived because we're making God work for us. And there was no greater dissatisfaction for me than when I was trying to do that. And that's what led me to glorify ballet as my God. And that was utterly fruitless. And so now to be able to follow Jesus and to be serving ballet dancers and to be first seeking God and to be living a lifestyle of repentance where I constantly see how I could be growing, how I can repent further, how I can change, how I can submit to God more. It's just such a fruitful growth process where I realized that God will never leave me. Mm-hmm. Other things might leave me and that's okay, but I have the most important thing, which is God. And so that has led me to a whole different level of fearlessness. But for um, any of you who are in the process of seeking Jesus and trying to put him at the center, yeah, just be honest when you're reading the Bible how does your life compare to the lifestyle you see? And I just love how the the disciples were actually sent out without any provisions. And Jesus mm-hmm. was telling them, like, you know, that he didn't even have a place to put his head. Yeah. And go out without, I read this morning, without sandals. Without sandals. Without sandals. <laughs> like, we think we need all this stuff to go follow. But when you realize you don't need anything more than our, our Savior, Jesus, man, How much more can you go out in boldness realizing that you already have everything you need? There's no scarcity there. I mean, talk about abundance mindset. Yeah. When God is at the center, he is the most abundant being. We don't have to have all the abundance in our earthly lives. Yeah. As if God needs to give us all of the money we could ever want, all of the health and the status and everything we could want so we could finally feel secure in his arms. That is the opposite of the true gospel message, that there is actually no greater freedom found in whenever you actually realize that nothing on this earth matters. You own, the only thing that matters is the relationship that we have the wonderful opportunity to have with Jesus Christ. And I mean, think of it, think of how many, uh, like I had some friends when I was young who had divorced parents. And one of the parents, I remember her telling me, would just buy her a bunch of things. And I used to be jealous, like, wow, your dad just got you all that stuff and he'll just give you money whenever. That's so awesome. And I remember sensing her dissatisfaction. Like, yeah, he just gives me things to prove to me that he loves me, but she didn't feel it. And so I really believe that Sometimes, since God knows our hearts, God knows that when we don't know him first and love him first, that if he gave us everything, we would just go worship those things. And mm-hmm. what what kind of God would he be if he wasn't leading us back to himself, if he really is the source of love in life? 
And so I'm not saying that to be a Christian, you have to be poor and you have to have nothing. But sometimes if your idols are health, wealth, and prosperity, it's okay to lose those things to realize that you don't need them. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So <laughs> I I love talking about this stuff. And uh, I mean, this is real. This is the only thing that truly matters <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> um, but to get back to just practical steps yep. so that once again, we do not just fall into another pump you up kind of session where you're like, ah, I think I'm more inspired. And then the next day, nothing changes. Yep. Uh, like I said, go through the Bible in especially the New Testament, those books I recommended, the book of John, Acts, and Romans. And those will give you a wonderful start, a wonderful overview of what it means to not just believe, but to be a discipler or to be a disciple. <laughs> discipler. Discipler. <laughs> um, but not just read on your own. Have someone, uh, one or two people that um, are willing to be there with you, study out, hear your questions, and not just give you an answer from their head, but say, well, let's study this together. Yeah. If If I don't understand the answer to your question or the meaning of this passage, let's go further into it. Let's dwell on this scripture. Let's look up several commentaries and try to understand where this is coming from. Have someone that will wrestle through the scriptures with you and help you um, process your biggest questions. So Mm -hmm. we need to be in community. That's another thing. Get into a community of disciples, not just empty, yeah, I prayed the sinner's prayer, uh, air quotes, believers, I guess. Yeah. I'm just calling this right out. (laughs) Um, And so find a community. And honestly, if you cannot think of a single person in your life that you really, um, I don't know, feel like that would be a great idea to study the Bible with them, or you don't know of someone who would be receptive, someone who also believes in the Bible and wants to go to it, honestly, it would be no, uh, like there's no greater honor and pleasure in my life than to disciple others. And so please reach out to me on Instagram, Kelsey underscore the college career. I will honestly hop on a Zoom call with you and I will go through these um, studies with you. I will be with you as you answer your biggest questions and I'll study the Bible too and not just give you answers from what I think or whatever I could pull out of a hat. so those are the steps and yeah. repentance is really yeah. where this leading is leading to. This is much different yeah. than just um, saying, I believe, you know, yeah. Jesus is who he said he is. And he did what he said. Because uh, even Joel Olstein has that like creepy chant. Um, I believe I uh, you At the beginning of each service, because we went there for a year whenever we lived in Houston, you literally hold up your Bible or your iPad if you're looking at it uh, on your Bible app. And you say something like, I believe this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I could do what it says I could do. And I... I don't. I think they say I believe what it says. Well, I'm not so sure. Maybe. (laughs) And so, (laughs) actually, weird noise. (laughs) um, The point here is entering into a repentant relationship. And I I do want to circle this back around to people who identify with having really big dreams. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I do have some encouragement that. You truly don't have to be desperate 
to hold on to it for great fear of losing that dream. Mm. If you're a believer, trust that God will shape your path to follow him. And I promise you that if your dream is rooted in truth and that he really gave you some of those desires, he will bring it back. Mm, He'll bring it back, but in a redeemed form. And so I'm not even saying that just because I more explicitly help other dancers now that that's the redeemed form. It could have looked like me re-entering the professional dance realm, but then more overtly like submitting every single day to God and um, truly being a light there and ministering to other dancers. But God made it clear for me personally that right now what he has for me is he wants to use some other gifts he's given me, which isn't necessarily dancing, though I still dance for fun. Mm -hmm. Praise Jesus. Like He did not rip that out of my life by any means. I'm so grateful. Like That's just a a huge blessing. And I think a sign of just how sweet our Heavenly Father is. Um, But so just because it looks like explicitly helping other dancers for me, that doesn't mean for you that if you have a big dream, God's going to rip it out of your life and then um, make you like change that and help other people. No, He's going to change your heart. Mm -hmm. And so from a renewal of your heart, whatever journey needs to take place for that to happen then from there, whatever is coming out in the form of service will just be so beautiful. And you'll get to give every day to God and serve other people genuinely. And just to know that you're following Jesus first is such a great comfort. And I promise that desperation to follow your dream and to have it look a very specific way will be healed. And I want to say healed because I almost feel like that's a sickness to yes. be so desperate. It, it means it's, it's your rooted idol. in such deep fear that you can't live without it. I promise you, you can. And there's such freedom in that. So I'm not saying that God's going to rip everyone's dreams away from no. them. But please be open to having your dreams redeemed. Oh, redeemed and healed word. And to put them in second place. (laughs) Second place. Second place. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I tried to manufacture a feeling or a heart for before, but truly you have to seek first the kingdom of God and Mm -hmm. then things will make sense. So my dear sister, yes, you're throwing up the peace signs like we done here. We out of here. I said this was going to be 30 minutes. Lies, 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 lies. Yeah, I knew that was not going to happen. Also, but. we're um, we always say filming. We're not filming. Uh, we were recording this I hope in not. the morning. I look like a troll. <laughs> I don't. I look fabulous. I know you look fabulous. <laughs> I look like a troll. But yeah, it took me a little bit to get to my point. But hey, we got there. Got to a great point. We got there. I kind of feel like that's um. A metaphor for how God guides us through our dreams, too. Like, He will lead us through some winding paths a lot of the times. It's not going to be a super linear journey. But I promise if your heart is to seek Him, He's going to lead you exactly where it matters to go. Yeah, gosh, that's making me think of the Israelites that spent 40 years going in circles in the desert. Um, I saw some article that it is quite technically an 11-day straight shot on foot. (laughs) <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. So, That's terrible. Yeah. Gosh. Oh my gosh. So anyways. Great. Great any chat. Fi- any final words, my sister? Love you guys. Love you guys. Peace and blessings. I promise 
Kirsten will be back. We have she gonna be back. She gonna be back. We have quite a few hot takes and new. Oh yeah, we love giving our hot takes. Especially we have some fun things planned. Like one day we're gonna have a little um a little Christian girl roast of the coaching industry. We can't wait to talk about that because y'all know. Just go follow if you don't know. Go follow some life coaches on Instagram. See their quote cards. See oh my gosh, even the websites. There's like copy and paste. Everyone has the same website. Like. You can be a girl boss. You can yeah. be you abundant. Deserve you deserve everything. abundance. Like, you are abundance. And, yeah, we you can't wait to break that down. Know what you deserve. <laughs> the Bible. Yeah, can I just leave them with the "you're deserving of death" quote? Oh gosh, oh, I love it. No, no, no. I have what? to tell. It. I have to just. Let, oh. I'm giving y'all a preview of this future episode. We're going to talk about that. Um, some other stuff too, health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. Oh, we love it. We love it. But just to give you a little preview of when we talk about the coaching industry one day, um, <laughs> I will never forget a story that was told to me about um, my campus ministry leader and how he was sitting in the back of a car with um, his campus ministry leader a few years prior. And he said that he was complaining and just being like, I don't deserve this, whatever's <laughs> happening. And after a couple minutes of listening to him, um, his ministry leader whipped around while she was driving and she goes, Michael, you are deserving of death. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was so vicious, but I mean, not vicious. It was like a loving slap on the arm but he said in that moment he was like oh my gosh you're right whoops let me check myself and so I've just remembered that ever since like hey I'm a sinner I deserve nothing and God is just so gracious to love on us and it just makes me even more grateful for the life I do have and uh, yeah I just love that one so we'll get there later but I just wanted to give a little teaser that's a quote that I live by when I need to check myself and um, yeah, if you want to use that too in your life, yeah, you my permission. <laughs> uh, honestly, though, I do want to be careful because we didn't go deep into the or on any level into the theology yeah. behind um, why we say we're deserving of death. Because honestly, yeah. that's something that not even that long ago, a few months ago, a year ago, would have repulsed me. Yeah, and I do I, understand that. And I would have been like, oh my gosh, y'all are so fire and brimstone. Yeah, y'all you are have, so fear-based. You have no idea of true love. Like, God is right. love. God like, is I, I totally refuted the, like, we are garbage kind of theology. And I don't believe that inherently we are trash or like so tiny and capable of nothing. I don't believe that at all, but sometimes I think we just need to absolutely separate the sin from the sinner, realize that we're entitled to nothing and that our sin is something that has a penalty. It's deserving of a penalty. And so I I don't mean to throw that out there to um, repulse anyone, uh, but we'll, we'll cover it later. We'll cover it later. It is something that is steeped in love, but it's not the definition of love that our society approves of. There's no, uh, like God is not a truly loving God without justice and balance. We would um, immediately throw out and condemn any judge that looks at a criminal and says, I know what you did, but it's nothing, you know? Yeah, we'd be like, get that person out of here. There has to be justice. 
for our sins. And so that justice, that payment was made through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life that we could not so that his atonement for our sins could cover what imperfection and sin left us uh, without a hope that we could enter into the kingdom of heaven that is without any imperfections. It is perfect. And so we would not... We wouldn't fit there yeah. with God. So God is just. And then when he forgives us and we participate in that forgiveness, we're made new. Yes, exactly. He says, go and sin no more, which of course we still sin. But yes. that's what the process of sanctification is for. I love that idea that our whole life is working out our faith in fear and trembling and with like healthy fear, fear of God, like reverence for God. Yeah. Fear of God, um, not fear of man, not no, fear of No, 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 no. But we are always and becoming. fear being reverence, not yeah. like terror yeah yeah um but our whole walk i kind of see it as a journey to sanctification so that by the end of our days we are ready to go to heaven you know Mm -hmm. we fit in there we're ready to go meet our heavenly father yeah which oh my gosh i just like need to get into all this deep theology because (laughs) i'm I'm worried about misunderstanding but um we are called to um a life in which we're always working on our sanctification but it's out of a love for jesus and a desire to be like him and to honor him Mm -hmm. uh it is not that we need to earn our salvation in any way our sins are um wiped away um whenever we accept that jesus died for them and we say would you please forgive me um yeah and so and we walk out the rest of our days as a new creation not trying to become perfect in our own right to be gods of our own but just out of love and respect for our god and um just being the hands and feet of Jesus we always want to be more like him to um share him with other people look at us ended up okay i i'm Sorry that this has gone on so long, but I definitely am so glad that we got to the point where we shared the gospel message because I I feel very convicted that that's something we should be doing all the time, first, every single day to ourselves to make sure that we look that in the face and say, I believe and I abide in that. Um, And so, yes, I'm glad. I definitely didn't want to just leave that as us joking about what I used to call like fire and brimstone, like we're all pieces of trash kind of thought. Yeah. Um, I always want to be more thoughtful and like help others understand because I completely understand what it's like to be so cynical and to not understand and to be so so frustrated by christian needs language and like that's laden with all laden with all these assumptions that people know what we're talking about so yeah forgive me if i um if i participate in that thing that would have previously frustrated me a whole lot now hopefully we covered covered the bases and talked about the balance of things yeah. and where you're coming from but yeah. uh now would be a wonderful opportunity to say adieu adieu so- and you and you and you yes okay well i love you sister oh oh thank you i I I love you i don't have another sister so i think it's just you well i was waiting for you to say sisters sisters like the listeners oh but we do not discriminate here all you know men women oh no this is not a female only no not at all for all 
Um, okay, so officially shutting up. <laughs> shutting up. Shutting up. Uh, and goodbye. 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 <laughs>